Today's conversation is with Dr. Vanina DeLabelle. She's a principal of business design at Method. Vanina is a brilliant thinker who graciously shares her insights and knowledge. She's written an ebook and several blog posts that really challenge our thinking. But listen to hear about her ebook, Culture at the Core, and how the culture of a company is tightly connected to digital transformation. Okay, I'm curious, how about you? Hi, Benita. Welcome to OK, I'm Curious. Hello. So you recently published an ebook, which was really interesting. It was called The Culture at the Core, A Playbook for Digital Transformation in a Changing World. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. You mentioned that there were times when digital transformation is required for a company to survive and prosper. Like during the pandemic, you know, we, we saw several industries that really had to quickly change or they would fail. Can you describe what sectors you see that may need to transform now? And then, you know, what are those elements that are involved in a digital transformation? Yeah, so I think we will see the next big, big wave of uh, digital transformation happen already in the, in the industrial uh, sector, uh, which includes, you know, manufacturing, energy, transportation, just to name some, because they have not done much of it uh, so far compared to uh, other other sectors. To be successful, I think you need to combine six different elements. Uh, so I'm going to go and name them all and give an explanation on, of each. Uh, first is uh, what I call leadership. Leadership uh, meaning that you have the right support from the top, and it's really like a top-down uh, activity. And this includes that you have the support, but you have the budget, and the, you will be able to have the, the right decision-making and communication when there might be a decision to be made, and that you are not going to be stuck uh, in the middle of the project without any budget anymore, because that's the worst that you can do, right? You cannot transform any. The second one is about collaboration. The old uh, formats have always been very siloed, you know, communication and collaboration between the different departments. In order to really succeed in transformation, you need to work together. You need to break those silos and, and work uh, more collaboratively. The next one is agility. You need as an organization to think like a start. We said, right, be nimble, uh, launching project quickly, failing quickly, assessing, uh, deciding that this project is no longer uh, valuable and this one is valuable and then going up and expand it. The fifth element is about customer-centric, meaning that you need to define what makes sense for the customer, create the right value, and not just do something because you think it's uh, it's good. You know, like uh, there are a lot of startups, they have great ideas, they have this brilliant idea, and and uh, but there is there is no value behind, right? So they fell. So here you need really to bring a value to your uh, to your customer and have this right balance uh, between desirability and viability. And the last one is uh, to me the most important of all is people first. Because when we go to transformation, before anything, we, we, we tend to believe that digital transformation has to do with technology. But before anything, a transformation is about people, about the culture and the necessity for them uh, to change how they are working, how they are interacting, how they are dealing with uh, 
with changes without this deep cultural change, I have seen, I would say I experienced that usually projects are failing because there is no adoption, uh, the people are not taking it up and clients therefore are not interested. Yeah. So I want to dig into that a little bit more because you talk about, you say digital transformation. And I think a lot of people do think, oh, that means we're just automating the way we work. But a lot of those elements you talk about have to do with the company culture. So why is changing the culture so important to digital transformation? Yeah, so I'm going to give an analogy here. First is like, you cannot do the same thing as you always used to do and expect different results, right? Here, I'm going to give an analogy when you're trying to lose weight and you don't want to put back the weight, right? Mm -hmm. That's the thing. You don't go for a diet for a couple of months and then start eating the same way as you used to eat and then say, well, I'm going to stay fit all the time. No, it is a lifestyle change that you need to go through. Here, it's the same. For the organization, lifestyle corresponds to culture. So you need to change how the people embrace that technology. Uh, if they do not change the way they are working with the technology, and, and how they are and, and learning how to bring the value or get the right value, then the, the project or the technology has no benefits, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's really where I can see this relationship with uh, culture first. And I, as I was saying before, uh, people first, uh, same as lifestyle, culture. Yeah. Okay. So you said uh, that people first was one of the most important elements that you talked about. And one of the things that you, you wrote about in your ebook was about the tenure, so employee tenure. And I know that's changed a lot through the years because even just, you know, I think about my parents' generation, you always talk about like the same company their whole life. There was a, a value to the company, a value to the employee to stay together. And then our generation was much more of a hopper. You know, we would jump around a lot more. The, see, we set, we felt more expendable, I think, to our um, employee yeah. employers. Yeah. So how, where do you think we need to go? And where do you think our mentality is to, to really do this digital transformation? How do we need to think about employees and tenure? Yeah. So we agree I'm going to talk about the American. <laughs> because we know at Meta that we are working with other other countries and, and you know, for example, Caveat that. <laughs> wow. and Japan will stay for it forever. Now, they also told me that they are starting to change more frequently uh, employer. So they are getting uh, closer to what we are doing. But to stick to uh, to what we are, we live and know better. So people, usually they, they, they change job for a reason. They want to be given better opportunity, opportunity to grow or they are not, they feel that they are not recognized. They don't like the culture that is offered to them. They need more flexibility. They need a better pay. They have different reasons. If the uh, organization is fulfilling the needs, the employee has no reason really to, to leave, right? We, we sometimes say we don't leave organization, we leave bosses. That is, is true, right? If your manager is doing what is right to you, you have no reason to leave that organization and go to another one. You leave the organization because your boss is maybe not providing everything you need. So indeed from a time where 
I think job hopping, and, and you know, when you think about job hopping, just the name itself, mm-hmm. the negative, people were seeing this very badly. I even like 10, 20 years ago, I mean, when you were changing every two years, everybody were looking at you, you were not uh, reliable and, and so forth. They, they, they were not seeing uh, further than that. To today, where people change every two years, for even every year, the youngsters they change every year. Uh, we can probably find the the, the right uh, the right balance between the two because it has a cost for uh, the employee, and it has a cost for the employer as well, right? So if the employees are better considered and not put after shareholders, right, which has been very much the case, right, in the U.S., and again, not to compare it to even Europe, where we look at things in much longer term. In the U.S., we are very, very quality driven. Um, so therefore, shareholders are the number one. So if we start putting the emphasis more on the employee, they would not need to change a job as as often. And retaining uh, employee uh, longer um, has also great uh, benefits financially and I, I'm, I'm saying emotionally. Because think about that. When you have people who are leaving an organization, you know, if, if one of your colleagues in your team is leaving, first reaction is like, why, why is they leaving, right? You want to understand why they're leaving. So, okay, one maybe here and there, I mean, you can understand, I mean, everybody has different priorities in life. But when we start having a lot of them leaving, you start wondering, you don't feel secure anymore. You are wondering what's going on. You start questioning uh, the organization. You kind of start questioning yourself. You say, what am I going to be the next? And so forth. It does create this emotional weight that prevents you from putting the energy where it's right, like doing your job. And and for uh, for the organization, every time they have somebody leave, they need to recruit a new, another person. So it's recruiting fees, it's training fees, it's time to onboard. I mean, it has it has a, a different uh, cost and with a risk every time because you don't know if this person is going to be the right person and how they're going to stay. Uh, in our case, are are they going to be uh, you know appreciated by clients? I mean, whatever your reason. So I think we can make the same same analogy as when we. We look at a client. Sometimes we say it's better, it's easier to retain clients. And then there's a, there's a number that doesn't come to my mind right now. I think it's a, it's like a seventy percent easier to retain a client than to find a new one. It's the same for employees. I think it applies the same way. Yeah, and I've even heard some people talk about oh, if you've been with a company for a while, oh. I need to look like I'm get I'm getting more skills. I need to jump to another company. And it's funny because that's also the responsibility of that company is to make sure that that person still feels like they're getting challenged and and growing as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. One of the other things that again with about, you know, talking about people, you even make a comment that the kind of people we're hiring may be different because what we're we're looking at the values that they have or the capabilities that they have could be different from the may, the way we may have hired in the past. Can you describe like what some of those skill sets are that we may be looking for in the future that maybe we didn't in the past? First of all, I think that we are leaving like three big, I'm, I'm recalling revolutions, uh, like 
it's uh it's impacting a lot how we are hiring and and how people are just perceiving uh their whole uh working environment the first one is knowledge knowledge can be found everywhere nowadays you don't need in theory right think about that you don't need to go to college to learn something you can learn everything and anything on the internet right you have even uh, MIT and all the mocks that are providing uh, all kinds of uh, courses, uh, quality courses, the same as you would have when you go uh, to their university and you can have them. Or maybe more current. <laughs> even more current, exactly. Yeah. So these uh, first is the form of learning, right? So learning has become easier. The second one is about technical skills. I think that before we had the revolution, every 10 years, then it became every five years. Now it's becoming every almost two years. So whatever you learned two years ago or even five years ago is becoming very quickly obsolete. So you need to train yourself anyways. That's why also I'm, I'm thinking that uh, technical skills don't have as much value in the sense that first a lot of technical, I would say tasks, cannot be done easily. So I'm just taking this example. And every yeah. time I'm speaking with some people, there's like, oh, do you remember when we were uh, building a website in the past? I mean, we had to go and code it. And it was costing a lot of money. I mean, today, anybody, I mean, uh, a kid can yeah. go and, and and build a website. Or build, and they have to make code. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With, without knowing the code because they have no code. And, and think even further, because the other day I was, uh, I think I was watching a, a video or TikTok, whatever it was. A developer was uh, talking to ChatGPT and uh, he was talking, literally talking, and ChatGPT was writing the code for him. He didn't have to touch the computer. So when you get to those uh, areas, you know, where AI is replacing a lot of those tasks and and that you have those, those platforms, why do you need as much technical uh, knowledge uh, as we used to need, right? Mm -hmm. A different one, you need to understand it. I mean, let's, let's not uh, misinterpret that. We need to understand it, but we don't need to be a, a super class coder uh, today or programmer to, to be able to do something. And finally, there is this globalization and work from home, right? Or remote, remote work, right? You can hire anybody from anywhere. So you can think that for a single, for a one single job, you have a much bigger pool of people and you can eventually buy them or hire them from countries where cost of living is, is cheaper, right? So you make, uh, it's, it's, it's less costly. Therefore, today, the new employee uh, has to bring value in a much different way, right? So because they are facing these this three big things. And and the value that makes sense today in people is their brain that their capability of analysis. Machines are not replacing that yet. I'm not saying that in common. <laughs> not like yet. Change quite before now. <laughs> they cannot take that from us. So to be able to have this value, we need to hire therefore differently and not look just at the technical and technical uh, skill set or where, which, uh, which uh, universities are coming from or whatever. We need to hire people who are well-rounded, meaning that they'll be able to understand quickly, 
to adjust quickly to situations because, as I said, revolutions are much more frequent, so they need to understand quickly and get it quickly. They need to understand human relationships because this is one of the big things, right? Is, uh, we're talking about emotional intelligence and, and, you know, all the people who are in sales jobs, this is not taken by, by anybody, right? You still need to sell. And so you still need to be able to communicate and collaborate with yeah. them. Then when we go back to globalizations, then you need to be able to engage with different cultures. So be open-minded. Even our CEO yesterday was talking about being curious. And I really believe about that is that we need people who are curious, who are open-minded, who are innovative, who are going to find ways of dealing with this problem or that problem. Um, be humble as well, because whatever you know today, tomorrow is obsolete already. So don't think that you are the king of the world just because you, uh, you know, acquire that uh, capability. And therefore, this all summarized around, you know, having uh, what we call the, the soft skills, right? And emotional intelligence. I, I really believe that even if you are like a star in, in a certain area, if you do not have those uh, those kind of skills, you cannot really try in, a, in our society or, or in our You definitely don't get as far. I mean, you, yeah. you need a translator with you. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And that kind of leads to... You know, when you talk about these different style of workers and, you know, the possibility of them being remote kind of leads to that other element you were talking about, which is leadership and that management style. And the heart of this is really teaching managers to empower their employees. Like, can you talk more about this empowerment? Yeah. So I think that empowerment is is the best that igniter, igniter uh, to creativity and excitement, right? So when you are excited uh, about what you are doing and that you feel in control with what you are doing, the first thing that you you want to prove that yes, I'm worthy uh, the the trust I'm, I'm 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 being given, right? And it makes you immediately uh, more efficient and you'll be more creative in uh, approaches. This doesn't mean, and I want to to also clarify that doesn't mean that. You are going to be alone in your island and you're not going to have any guidance or your manager have no say at all what you're saying. We need to make this distinction uh, uh, between the two. But it means that you are empowered enough to be able to express yourself in your best way, right? Uh, so when you, you think that if you are constraining somebody with uh, with whatever limitation that you want to put on them, then they, they, they cannot really think. Uh, because they, they know that they have to, you know, abide by certain uh, criteria, right? So, and management, I think we need to look at, as management, we need to look at the big picture and measure more the results. Now, we can also argue how can we improve the quality of what is delivered if we only measure the outcome, right? So in order to uh, influence that, that's where management need to be very different than, you know, just managing. They need to inspire, they need to lead, they need to show ways, uh, bring um, uh, some excitement to the person. So then they have some tools that are given to them to make the best decision at the end, right? And improve every day. And then you can come back as a manager along the process and continue to give advice, refine, 
and um, help them, you know, grow as they go, but without uh, being too directive in how they are. Because otherwise it's called light math, right? Yeah. Micro-management then means you are putting a box. Big it. Right. Right. Lots of differences. So it's like setting some outcomes for them, empowering them or trusting them that they're going to do this and then kind of step aside and be more that cheerleader than the micromanager. Okay. That's interesting. It seems like some of the companies that made some of these changes during the pandemic, you know, they transformed. They made some big leaps in how they worked. Maybe they did empower employees a little bit more because they were in this remote um, work style. But now it seems like they're resorting back to previous behaviors. What have you seen in how this kind of post-pandemic era? Yeah, that's an interesting So uh, I heard what I call horror stories. And, and when you when you speak with these uh, employees, I think this is how they are living it as well, right? So yeah. I heard some uh, employees uh, are um, being forced to go back to the office mm-hmm. and they have to plot, uh, you know, uh, scan their badge and then they're looking at how many days they are actually spending in the office or they are being threatened. I mean, we've seen that even at, I think it was Tesla, right? That they had done this wonderful announcement about firing people that they didn't want to come to the the office, what kind of culture are we enabling by saying such things? I read uh, about an article, I think it's probably two days, that, two days ago, where uh, a CEO pretended that people who were working from home, and he was giving an example. So the way it was presented, maybe it was just you know an exception, but the way it was presented was like, oh, if you work from, from home, I mean, you don't work. And at this point, didn't even log in for a month. Well, I don't know about you and me, but I know that I log in. That's <laughs> been a lot of hours. Um, but but I feel like that this kind of I would say propaganda. This is how I feel like it's a little bit of propaganda. It's just yeah. to create fear and also give credit to those who want to revert uh, to the past and to do things the way they used to do it prior to pandemic. These past years have shown new possibilities. So. Why would we want to return to the past, right? Again, uh, to give uh, an analogy, we are driving cars today. We didn't revert to ride our horses. It's the same. I mean, why would we go back in the past? I mean, this is just like in this whole um, change uh, that uh, that is touching the organization, a lot of talking now about hybrid modes. And, and I, I think that that uh, is probably uh, the best way to approach the problem, meaning that you leave the opportunity to employees to pick what is best for them. Mm-hmm. How are you the most efficient? Some people are saying, I'm absolutely not efficient when I'm in the office. Mm-hmm. I work from home. Others, they actually need to have the excitement of having other people around them to be more productive. That's fine, but but let's not like try to uh, create a format that again we put somebody in a box mm-hmm. and say well, this is the way to go. We are all different human beings. There is not a single uh, human being that is similar to the other. So it's great to uh, leave uh, opportunity uh, and give the right tools for them to be the best person they can be. This has been a really interesting conversation. I love what you're sharing. And I know your ebook has a lot more, and I'll make sure that, that the link to that book gets put in um, the notes. 
But is there anything else you'd like to share as kind of a wrap up? I'm going to just summarize that, just see that the main message that Prubia had when I started writing this ebook is to bring back the best of human beings. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, our society has shown this past years how far everybody has been, has gone, you know, being horrible human beings. So we all need to be more human-centric and care about each other and respect different citizens, respect a lot of different things. And let's not forget again, and I've said that I think twice during our conversation, Gary, is that transformation is people first, right? Yeah. So if we do good by the people, it will trigger to the business and it will make this very complex endeavor as going through a transformation much, much easier because people will be on board, will be more excited and so forth. And once you start removing one of the beginning entrants, then life is just immediately better. Yeah, that's a great message. Thank you, Vanita. This was a really fun talk. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you need more method in your life, you can always find us on social. And don't forget to check out any of our monthly tech talks. They're available both in person and virtual. We would love for you to be a part of those. You can find out more information about them on social media, as well as on our website. Keep your ears open. We'll be back with another episode soon. But until then, don't forget to stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.